I'm Andy Platman, and this is Messages from Another World, another in the podcast series that unpicks the historical background to our opera brainland. We're going to discuss the German scientist Hans Berger, and we're recording this in April 2023, 99 years after Berger first detected those weird electrical pulsations coming from the human brain, the electroencephalogram, or EEG. In scene two of Brainland, we stage Berger's discovery of the EEG. But who was he? To discuss that, I'm joined by our resident researcher, Ken Barrett. Grey Walter, who we talked about in an earlier podcast, visited Hans Berger in Jena in 1935, and in his 1953 book, The Living Brain, wrote this. Berger was not a physiologist. He was indeed a surprisingly unscientific scientist. In 1935, he was not regarded by his associates as in the first rank of German psychiatrists, having rather the reputation of being a crank. He was completely ignorant of the technical and physical basis of his method. He knew nothing about mechanics or electricity. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement, so why is he remembered? Let's talk about the arrogance of youth. Grey Walter was 25 when he went to visit Berger in 1935. Berger was 62, and he'd made this astonishing discovery just a few years before. However, Grey Walter wasn't the only one to gain this impression of Berger being somewhat ignorant about physiological matters. But what they seem to miss is that his very physiological naivety is the reason why he discovered this in the first place. I mean, nobody who knew anything much about physiology, particularly about neurons, um, would have even dreamt of sticking electrodes on the scalp. I mean, what was he listening for? You know, there were billions of brain cells in there. Nobody could have predicted that they would have been synchronously firing like this. It just, even now, it seems uh, absurd. Labelling him as a crank was maybe a bit harsh, though I gather his reason for studying medicine was quite unusual. But yes, that, that uh, kind of origin story, the, the reason why he came into medicine, uh, he didn't really write up until towards the end of his life. And it is an extraordinary story, really. And I think shed some light on that question, well, why did he think the brain might be emitting something that he could pick up? The story was that he went from school to university at 18, but after about a year, he was rather disillusioned with his subjects. He wasn't studying medicine. And so left to do military service, which he did in, in the cavalry. And one day he's riding along on his horse on a ridge above a sunken road when suddenly his horse stumbles and he's thrown down into the road. He didn't suffer any major injury, but unfortunately there's a gun carriage being pulled at speed by a number of horses coming straight for him at the time. And he said he really thought it was going to be the end of him because there was nowhere he could get out. But fortunately they, they managed to pull up the horses and stop the carriage before it got to him. Well, 200 kilometres away, his sister at that moment got this terrible feeling that something had happened to Hans, and, and they were close. And she was so worried about this that she got her father to send Hans uh, a telegram just to check that he was OK, which he clearly was. But he was very struck by what he thought must have been telepathy. And he thought, well, how on earth could my brain communicate this with her? And so after that, he... He decided he was going to study medicine, but more particularly, he decided he was going to study the mind and the brain. And so, having studied medicine, he went immediately into psychiatry. But knowing that this is why Berger came into medicine, this sort of interest in telepathy, gives one a sort of insight as to to why he might have thought 
maybe we'll just attach these electrodes uh, to the scalp. Although we only devote two scenes to Burger in Brainland, there is a whole story arc. Self-doubt, triumph, ridicule, vindication, conflicted conscience, tragic death. How much do we really know about Burger the Man? Well, quite a lot in recent years, thanks to the research of a historian of science called Cornelius Bork, who wrote some very interesting papers, and a very good book on the early cultural history of the EEG. He spent months in uh, Berger's archive going through his research journals. Um, but even back in the 1940s, there was a, a Russian psychiatrist who'd moved to America called Goldberg, who'd worked with him in the uh, early 30s before the Nazis came to power. And he gave quite a detailed uh, description of him that wasn't particularly flattering. Again, it was, he was a conservative, uh, he was fairly humorless, he was very rigid and seemed quite unimaginative. So it was a great surprise to his colleagues when he came up with this very unusual research that he'd been doing on the quiet for several years. It was Bork also who found that he, he made this discovery initially, as early as 1924, um, but didn't really believe it himself and, and took five years, really, to write a paper about this and did something like a 1,000 recordings on different people. And these weren't easy recordings at, at the time, using quite primitive um, equipment. Before he became convinced that, well, yes, this must be true, but he confided to his, his notebooks his great doubts about this and whether he'd be pilloried for it, but then at other times, oh, maybe I'll get the Nobel Prize which feels like a good time to pause for some music. We're joined by Steve Brown, the composer of Brainland. So, Steve, what are we going to hear? Well, this next sequence is the music that accompanies Berger's discovery of the alpha rhythm of the EEG. Now, since the alpha rhythm is said to have 10 cycles per second, uh, I decided to put 10 strong beats in each bar. So it's in what musicians would recognise as 5-4 time, which is 10 quavers to the bar. Then I added some blips and squeaks over the top of it to make it sound like something electrical was going on. Uh, and it has a sort of fairly minimalist feel um, and finishes in a, in a slightly upbeat and optimistic way. It's another five years before Berger's discovery, the Alpha Rhythm, is finally confirmed by Adrian at Cambridge. Nobel laureate, famous, unimpeachable. But what did he think of Berger? Well, when he, he published his paper, it was entitled The Berger Rhythm, so he, he gave him full credit. Uh, in fact, he, he met Berger eventually in Paris at a conference in 1937 and was very quick to recognise his contribution. And in fact, he recommended Berger to the Nobel Committee for the Nobel Prize for this extraordinary discovery. But by that time, 
the Nazis, viewing the Nobel Prize as political, had refused to let any of their scientists be given it. And so he not only did he lose his job, but then he lost his chance of becoming a Nobel laureate, which would have been entirely justified. So in 1934, Berger is finally vindicated, only to be thrown out of his job, denied a Nobel Prize, replaced by a Nazi, then ends up in despair and suicide. He sounds heroic. And that was certainly the narrative that uh, took off in the EEG community after the Second World War, especially um, after 1969, the 40th anniversary of his paper coming out. The EEG Society produced a supplement to their journal, including English translations of all his papers and a, a, a biographical essay. And it's prefaced by a chap called Herbert Jaspers, who was a Jewish-American physiologist who visited... Berger with his wife in the mid-1930s and recalled that he was very kind to them and uh, was very unsympathetic to the regime. But then in uh, this century, there's been some new historical research which has uncovered stuff that contradicts that a little, really. Um, in 1933, the Nazis introduced the first phase of the eugenics programme, which was sterilisation compulsorily of people with chronic mental illness, learned disability, epilepsy, etc. And the doctor in charge of the person had to sign those. And there's evidence that Berger signed uh, quite a number of, of, of those uh, sterilisation orders. He was also apparently invited to join a, um, a hereditary health panel that was run by a member of the SS. So I think it's fair to say that really Berger kept his head down and uh, accommodated the regime. But it seemed likely, from what we know about him, that he was quite conflicted in that. And we uh, bring some of that out in, in, in the opera. Eugenic thinking in relation to mental illness, learning difficulties and epilepsy was fairly mainstream at the beginning of the last century. Of course, the Nazis took it to the next level with their euthanasia programme, when they gassed tens of thousands of disabled people. And that programme started in uh, 1939, so, I mean, thankfully Berger couldn't be tarred with that brush. Berger's story becomes profoundly sad, though we should say that the opera ends on a more cheerful note, as Walter and his three colleagues sing lustily about, well, the things you do for funding. There are other Brainland podcasts if you want to hear more about the project and the stories it tells. Or visit our website, www.brainlandtheopera.co.uk. Thanks for listening.